Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And so got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Lions. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of The Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, as always, Michael Rothstein, and... Yep, we are definitely in the offseason now. Players, Daryl Bevel talked for the final time, Bevel theoretically for the final time. As interim head coach, he is scheduled to interview theoretically on Tuesday. He wouldn't confirm that, but interview time is in full swing. We will get into that and more with our guest on today's show, the final guest that we're going to have on the show Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press. He'll be joining us right after the break. But before we get to him, just want to quickly hit on a little bit of what the schedule for potential interviews has been reported as. It's not clear if the Lions are going to announce these daily, if they're going to announce them weekly, if they're going to announce anything at all. But Sports Illustrated reported Eric Bieniemy is interviewing, or at this point by the time you're listening to us, would have interviewed on Monday, Bevel is expected to interview today. Robert Sala is expected to interview on Thursday, according to, actually to Dave Burkett and a few other people. And then supposedly, potentially, next week, the Lions are actually going to get a crack at a couple of other coaches who will be coaching this weekend. Dan Campbell, the Saints assistant coach and Arthur Smith, who, if you remember, Teron Davenport talked a bunch about when he was on the show last month, the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator. That comes also from Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated. And remember, neither one of those guys can interview this week because their teams are playing this weekend. So that's at least a quick view of who the Lions are potentially talk to you on the head coach side. As far as general managers go, the Lions are expected to interview, according to Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network, Terry Fontenot from the Saints, and George Patton from the Vikings. There's obviously a connection for George Patton with Chris Spielman because his brother Rick is the general manager in Minnesota. Uh, Albert Breer reporting that Fontenot is expected to interview for the Lions job on Tuesday and it's you know listen this is the time right now who knows whether all these interviews will actually happen if you remember the last time this went around there were interviews that were scheduled to happen that ended up not happening for one reason or another either a guy decided he didn't think he was a serious candidate or they are going to go in a different direction or that candidate has decided he is going to go in a different direction. So there is a bunch of different possibilities here and understand you're going to hear a lot of names that get thrown out there throughout all of this. So it's going to be really interesting to see how all of this goes. And we'll get into that obviously with Burkett a bit more. 
But those are the names that we're hearing or that have been reported. Uh, Burkett's also reporting that Jeff Ireland, the who's really helped build the Saints. We talked about him a little bit. I forget on which podcast it was, but he could be interviewing on Friday, uh, according to Burkett. So there are a whole bunch of guys who are potentially going to be talking to the Lions here. Not surprising. They are conducting a very full, very open, very, you know, large search. And we shall see how that goes. Uh, they've already interviewed seven candidates for general manager. They've also, according to multiple reports, interviewed Marvin Lewis for the head coaching position. So, yeah, we'll get into that more with Dave Burkett, and we'll also get into some of what players and coaches said today, the most interesting of which Taylor Decker said he was going to meet with Rod Wood on Monday to kind of voice his opinions on what he thought has worked well within the organization, things that he maybe wants to see, you know, kind of stay the same, maybe some people he'd like to see the same, stay the same. One of those is quarterback Matthew Stafford. Decker, one of the few Lions players to be under a long-term contract. Jeff Okuda, the rookie cornerback, actually talked as well. I thought his press time was the most interesting of all because he was very open about things, said that there was kind of, I guess I'm going to use the word confusion around when he should maybe get surgery, how much the groin injury that he said is getting better uh, post-surgery did affect him. He said it didn't affect him laterally. He said it did affect his top-end speed, so that could maybe explain part of his issues this season, which is something to at least consider when you are thinking about him. But he said, listen, there's no excuses to that. I did not play well this year. I have to play better. So... It was really interesting. I asked him, well, did you think about having the surgery before the year after his last season in Ohio State? This is what he said, quote, that was definitely a lot of communication throughout the whole entire year of the best strategy to deal with the issue and sometimes communication. Everyone can be better in it. So we just dealt with it in the best way we could. Uh, so then I asked him, well, were you not communicating how much pain were you in? Where was the breakdown? And then he said, quote, I would say just everyone, I guess, just I would say maybe communication wasn't the issue, but maybe just having a concrete plan to go by and everyone on board. I think that was the biggest thing. I think once the plan was identified and the best for everyone involved, I think that we were able to take care of it rather quickly. So that's part of what Jeff Okuda said. Also, we talked a little bit about where he felt there were issues on the defense and really what he learned from his rookie year. This was a powerful quote I thought from his rookie year quote I think that when you're put in I'm going to put in the word this situation this is just really how life works so you kind of get your little kind of fantasy bubble popped and now you're in the real world now it's how do you respond when you're not always on top when you're the underdog and honestly once you embrace that it's kind of a challenge that you look forward to when you wake up every single day he talked a little bit about how he felt like he dealt with more dysfunction with the Lions this year than he ever did at Ohio State and that he felt that everybody involved could have been more transparent this year and there were very pointed comments. He didn't throw anyone specifically under the bus, didn't blame anybody. He said that when he was asked who he hopes the organization brings in, what type of coach, he said, quote, my experience, I think that whenever you can get a coach, coaches that are kind of with the players, not saying that in the past they haven't been with the players, but when you have a coach like that where the players kind of feel like this guy's at war with us every single time and that we're in this together, I think that you have a team that's willing to play for each other no matter the circumstances, no matter if you're up 40 or down 40, they're going to play until the end. So I think just getting everyone on the same page, same goal, that would pay us great dividends going forward. 
end quote he said they learned from patricia that everyone has a job to do whether the circumstances are favorable or not when he was asked more about the dysfunction he said that you know, he, he once again talked about like players and coaches being on the same page and he was not trying to criticize anybody, but he felt like there maybe wasn't alignment between the coaching staff players. And as he said, quote, you just deal with dysfunction. And when he was asked about whether a scheme, personality conflict, strategic, you know, strategy, quote, I would just go ahead and throw everything into that. And I think that going forward, I think that's the that's the first thing players will try to do is just kind of create that chemistry early and expand on it from there and quote thought he was like I said really upfront and really candid Daryl Bevel was asked about this Bevel didn't really want to talk about it he didn't really want to get into much about his future he said that there are no staff changes made yet he also couldn't make those staff changes uh basically that's kind of where that was some of the big stuff from Daryl Bevel and he didn't want to He's basically said he's continuing to speak with Rod Wood. He didn't want to say when he would officially have an interview. And he thinks that it'll be a good conversation. But he also didn't want to get into where things maybe have gone wrong the last couple of years. He plans on talking about that with Rod and with Sheila Ford Hamp. And assumingly Chris Spielman as well, if they haven't had those conversations already. One other thing he did say about Matthew Stafford. And he said that he absolutely loves Matthew Stafford. And he... Quote, he is in the upper group in this league in terms of that position. I think it's the most important position on the field. If you don't have one of those guys, you're going to struggle for a long time. End quote. And he said that he would love nothing more than for Matthew to Stafford to get in a place to play meaningful games and that he believes that Matthew Stafford's a quarterback that can lead a team to a championship and that if he is permanent head coach, he would want Matthew Stafford to be his quarterback. So we'll unpack all of those things and more with Dave Burkett right after this break. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. My next guest, my last guest on the Michael Rothstein show was also my first guest, but it's an episode you've never heard. You'll never hear. Probably <laughs> that episode had happened. We wouldn't have even gotten to episode two because good would have been canceled instead of this being episode 199. So Dave Burkett. Welcome to the show for probably like the fifth or sixth time. I apologize. There will be no parting gift other than you have to look at my face for a while. 
I'm going to shut the screen off so I don't have to on Zoom. But yeah, I, I do want the people to know that I was the first. We sat down in uh, that little bar in Ann Arbor, right? And the audio didn't come Still through. Still open, so, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully the audio comes through good this time and, and we're good to go. I think we'll be better this time because uh, the engineer is also me. Um, <laughs> we had a great discussion that first time. I think we talked did. about, you know, I mean, we talked everything. We talked at some point we ended up talking about our, our past in Ann Arbor, but we talked about what I took from Matt Patricia, my head coaching days and lions and we, you know, everything. We talked everything. It was we did. It was really a great conversation. And I, I wish those, those early conversations when I talk more about like, just life with like journalists versus what I've done this year. I enjoyed those conversations more. I don't know how, if the listeners enjoyed them as much, but I I certainly did. Uh, And we can, we can always delve back into that during the show here, but let's, let's start with some Lions stuff. Obviously today I talked about it at the top of the show. End of season press conferences, probably end of tenure press conferences for Daryl Bevel, who openly admitted that I can't make any changes right now, uh, as well as some players who I thought had some unexpected things to say in Taylor Decker and Jeff Okuda yeah. specifically, and even Trey Flowers to some extent, although he was a little bit less forthcoming. What did you make of what you heard first from the players today and then also from Daryl Bevel? Yeah, I mean, starting with the players, look, I, I think I'll give Taylor Decker some credit, first of all. You know, I, I think there's not enough players necessarily that go to management that sort of take on that role and say, hey, whether you're going to listen to me or not, I want to share my thoughts. You know, I'm going to be here for the next four or five years, whatever it is. And so these are the people that I think should be here. These are the people that I think shouldn't. Players in the locker room, coaches, whoever it is. So I thought that was a I thought that was a, a big, you know, leadership step for for Decker to 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 offer that up and to say that he's going to do that. And I don't know if it means anything, but I think it's it's good, you know, that he's he's invested enough in the team, you know, that it means enough to him that he would want to do that. And then from Okuda's standpoint, look, Mike, you know, that was the realest answer that we've gotten from a player about you know what went wrong, sort of talking about some of the dysfunction that's that's been a part of this organization of late. So. You know, I, I know he was frustrated. You know, his circle was frustrated with the, the injury. You know, they, they thought he should have underwent surgery before he did. And, and, you know, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, for whatever reason, didn't, um, you know, they didn't see it that way. I know some people thought that it was maybe because they were trying to win now and they thought they needed him on the field. Uh, and I think that that led to his frustrations. But, you know, beyond that, I just I thought he was he was pretty open about some of the problems that you know, he experienced or he saw with the Lions this season. Well, I mean, listen, he was even open about that too Yeah. without, without naming names, but he didn't really have to because all you need to look at was talk about a plan and going, you know, on IR and having surgery pretty soon after. And that plan happened like right after yeah. Daryl Bevel took over. Right. I mean, I asked him that question straight away of, do you think, I mean, that's how we got that to that answer was he's just like, well, was a communication more just. <laughs> yeah. They weren't on the same page. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's exactly what it was. That, that, as I said, I know people in Okuda's camp thought it was just, you know, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia needing to save their jobs. And so they wanted, you know, Jeff Okuda to be a part of that, where maybe the best thing for Okuda was to to get that that procedure done earlier. You know, he said something that, you know, had lingered since college. And, and look, I don't know how much it impacted his play. I don't know how much he'll be better. You know, next year, he said, obviously, he couldn't turn and open up and run. And so you, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he was the number three overall pick. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, frankly, he, he didn't play very well this year. So, but as you said, beyond just the injury, you know, he, he mentioned some of the, you know, the other dysfunction uh, where the, the fact that, that, you know, the organization needs to be upfront with players. I think that was, you know, the, the communication aspect on that level. I thought that was important for him to say as well. No, I do too. And to me, I wonder whether or not if maybe Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn had been better with his injury, if he would have felt the same way too, or if some of that was lingering from, Hey, I think they mishandled this. They, you know, even though he didn't necessarily say mishandle, like clearly I didn't think this was communicated very well. And that's just one piece of the larger puzzle. Like that's how I took that was that he was most frustrated probably about his own injury, but it came to, to everything else as well. And you have to wonder too, if, you know, people like Rod Wood and Sheila Ford Hamp, whether Jeff Okuda has talked to them about that or not, it's clear they know it now. And that to me would be another thing that I would just, I think if I'm them, I, I mark down and say, okay, like that's messed up, you know, because you're putting a player's health at risk, at risk then, because clearly Jeff Okuda wanted to have the surgery. Yeah. I, and you know, I wouldn't want to put any words in anybody's mouth, but I, I wonder if, I don't know that they necessarily knew that about Jeff, but I wonder if they, you know, hearing that sort of, you know, amplified some of the thoughts that they already had about the, you know, broken lines of communication over Allen Park. And, and so, you know, maybe it, 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 you know, not that they needed any more strength to the decision that they made, but, um, you know, maybe it just sort of, you know, certifies that they, they did the right thing in their eyes. So, but look, Okuda is going to be a big part of this team going forward, or in theory, at least he should be a big part of this, this team, uh, you know, number three overall pick key defensive player. And so from that standpoint, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody hears my kids in the background right now. Once I finish the question, I'll tell them to be quiet. But Jack's uh, running he, back and forth. He's going to be a big. I know he's going to be a big part of this team going forward, and so they they need him to, uh, you know, be healthy to to reach his his potential. Yeah, I'd say the one last thing with Okuda would be this: is that the plays that to me really stood out when he had when he struggled this year were those straight line plays. Like I remember even in that last game when they they were playing Carolina, you remember early in the game, he just got completely beat on that. I forget who was, was it more is DJ Moore maybe that just completely beat him off the line. And you do wonder how much of that, how much at that point too, he was hampered and whether that continued on even more throughout the season. But that's also something we'll never know, or at least won't know until, you know, at this point next year, whether, you know, we're talking not maybe on a podcast about, you know, Jeff Okuda playing real well in year two or, oh man, he struggled again that, you know, they got some real problems there and they maybe, maybe blew a pick beyond. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, no, I think, I think you're hundred percent right because that was, you know, the, the speed was the question, right. And he ran the, you know, high four fours and which is good, but you know, maybe not elite for a cornerback. And so we saw that on the field and I, that's definitely the question that people had this year, right. Was, okay, if this guy doesn't have elite speed, how is he going to cover some of those guys like a DJ Moore that you mentioned? So I think next year will be the proving ground in that regard. Yeah, and the one last thing with Decker, I agree. I think that more players should do that. I also think Taylor Decker probably more than anybody in the organization has the leverage to do it at this point too. You know, um, you're probably right. I mean, Stafford still, I think, would carry some weight. I, I know, you know, his future is up in the air a little bit, but he's the quarterback and the Fords like him and Rod Wood likes him. And, you know, and, and look, just because, and, and like I said this with my colleague, Carlos Menares, when we, you know, I shot our video that 
you know, Matthew's never said that he's gone to bat for anyone or shared his thoughts on the organization outside of like Jim Bob Cooter, but that doesn't mean he hasn't done it. Right. Like I know he's had, you know, dinner with Rod and they probably talk about the state of the franchise and things like that when, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when they were going through some, some changes. So I, I don't think we should just, you know, jump to the gun and say, Matthew has never done this. I think he probably has on some level. He's just as private about some of those things, but um, I think you're right. You know, Taylor signed a contract, Obviously, he's going to be here for the next few years. He's played very well. So whether it's him, Stafford, Frank Ragnow, I think those are probably about the only people that uh, that could, you know, whose word would, would really carry some significant weight. And, uh, you know, Taylor is as good a guy as anyone to, to go out and voice his concerns or share his thoughts with uh, the decision makers in the organization. I mean, I think Trey Flowers may still be in that category just because of the contract situation that would put him and the fact that I think he's pretty respected defensively. But, you know, I, I would say he's probably fourth on that list right now. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, I just don't know what the what the future holds for any of these defensive guys, uh, Trey included. But I do think, you know, I asked Trey about, you know, him and Romeo Aquara. Maybe, maybe we're undervaluing their defensive ends a little bit because I, I do think both those guys are good players. Um, but regardless, you know, at the end of the day, I think the Lions are – uh, it's important. What I like about what, what Taylor said too, was he's not out there trying to tell them who to hire, right. Or what GM to hire. And he doesn't know that what he knows is what's going on in the locker room. And so maybe he can speak a little bit to, you know, this guy is uh, really respected in the room that maybe, you know, isn't, you know, thought of that way, you know, or this coach has done a great job, you know, even outside of the offensive line room. And, and this person is not right. Maybe there's a, a player who he thinks is just not worth being around who maybe has a, you know, a, a reputation that says something else here publicly, you know, that, that we don't know anything about. And so I, I think those insights are probably good to, to share with the, the decision makers and whether they take them up on it or not, you know, that's all you can do. You're, you know, today you're employee number, uh, you know, 68 in his case, but uh, it's the other people's call on, on how they, you know, want to, what they want to do with the franchise. So looking more at the big, big picture this season, right? Where do you think it really went wrong? Like how, how did we end up sitting here a couple of days after the season talking about everything kind of needing to change? I think it's an easy question, Mike. I think it went wrong last December when the Fords decided to bring Matt Patricia back. You know, I mean, I, I just don't, I, I mean, honestly, and this is easy to say in retrospect, but the fact of the matter is, you know, Matt Patricia, you know, he started completely behind the eight ball with everything that went on off the field, the South Padre incident, you know, everything before he even coached the game. And he never was able to dig out of that hole. And so, you know, again, this isn't complete retrospect, but, you know, maybe the Lions should have have done something at the time. And I realized I would have been against employment laws and, you, do, you know, you, you're not firing a coach three months after you hire him and he was never found guilty of anything or whatever. But I, I just think that whole incident really set the tone for everything that we saw the, the, you know, three years since, you know, and, and maybe he wouldn't have been, you know, so prickly in the locker room or with us or whatever the case was. And, and that first year really set this tone for the second year when players didn't buy in that first year. And, you know, then it was still a hard sell the second year, even though it was better. And then this year, even though there was more buy-in, you know, they're just, it was too late. You know, they just weren't, good enough and there still weren't enough people that maybe were completely bought in and you know his personality didn't mesh and and so I, I think a lot of it went back to 2018 and 
you know, ownership probably should have realized that last December, you know, they're, they're, they're close enough that they probably should have realized that last December. And look, I was all for the Lions giving Matt a third season. You know, I just, you know, I think it's tough to judge somebody on two years. Um, and especially when you lose your quarterback and you don't have him for a large portion of the season. But, you know, as I look back on the last 12 months now, I just don't think there was any hope for the Lions for that reason. And frankly, had they made a decision, had Bob Quinn made the decision at the time, Bob would probably still be here. And, you know, we'd already be going down a path with a new G, with a new coach and seeing where that takes us. No, I think that that's absolutely fair. And I'm with you in that at the time, I thought it was a curious decision, but I thought that it may, it was a decision that was defensible. That made sense because of where they were very, mediocre in year two before Stafford got hurt and you said okay like he has a process he has a plan they're gonna they're gonna try and build that so I understood where Sheila was coming from and I think truthfully too I mean I don't get the sense that they knew that they were going to transition ownership as quickly as they did right but that ended up in some ways I think being a benefit for her too because then all of a sudden you have a coach and a GM that you were you know, involved in the hire, like you clearly signed off on it, but it, mm-hmm. it isn't yours. Yep. So then all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of other questions. So I, I think in some ways this kind of made sense for what ownership ended up doing, but I mean, I don't know. You tell me, I, I've, I've said, I think it sets this franchise back minimum two years, if not more. Yeah, they got a lot to dig out of. And, you know, to your point about that, I mean, I think you're right, right? Had you gone through all the turnover at once, you know, it's that's a lot. And and maybe you can't attract as high quality candidate. I mean, we'll see who comes out of this one, you know, as you could when there's some question about everything that's that's going on. Um, you know, I I I don't know. I, you know, Mike, look, at the end of the day, I think it's probably I, I think what I've come to you know, realize having covered the NFL for, you know, this long is just that when you realize something's not working, you got to make a change. You know, you pull the plug right away. You don't wait and you say, ah, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't because it's not going to work. You go back when Bob Quinn kept, you know, Jim Caldwell, they were trying to force it to work together. It wasn't going to work. You know, if you hire your buddy, Matt Patricia, right then, you know, you're on past this point quicker, you know, or maybe Matt did work at that time or, you know, who knows it's different circumstances. You know, and same thing with with last December when you realize when you're thinking like it's probably not going to work, but I want to see if we can make it work in year three. Well, then, you know, it's it's not going to work. So you pull the the plug then. And so at this point, at least they're going to start fresh with a new coach and a new GM. You know, everything sort of, you know, hits the reset button in the organization. And, you know, I guess we'll see where this one takes us. You know, I hope we're not sitting around talking about this uh, when you bring the podcast back in three years and we're talking about another, you know, new coach or GM hire. I mean, I hate to say this, this is what that just finished year eight for me. And this is what year 11, give or take for you. Yeah. How many times have we done this now? I mean, not the podcast portion of it, but yeah. How how many times have we done this? I mean, look, I, I covered the 2008 season when I was at the Oakland press. And so I covered that, you know, coaching search, essentially, when they went from Rod Marinelli to Jim Schwartz. And then I didn't cover the 2009 season. That's when we worked together. But so, you know, essentially, I covered Marinelli and Schwartz and Caldwell and, and Patricia. And, you know, I don't know if you count Daryl Bevel or not, but definitely have seen enough of these things that uh, I've had my fellow of them, and I would prefer not to not to have to do them anymore. I think it's probably a whole lot 
better to cover playoff runs, though I can't say I've ever experienced that. I mean, I said on, I was on uh, the sports cave on Sunday night and I said that I feel like I'm the arbiter of bad football. And you and I have joked about this too. Like yes. the two of us together, I think have covered as much bad football as like some Patriots and Steelers of beat writers probably have covered in their entire 40 year careers. Like I, uh, I'm going to have to ask that you don't use it anymore. I'm copywriting a slogan similar to that, right? Like bad football. Like when I write a book at some point when I'm like 65 and you know, I have no more, you know, website or something to, to, you know, display my work on. I'm going to write a book about all the bad football that I've covered. You know, John L. Smith at Michigan state, you know, Rich Rod at Michigan, Rod Marinelli, right. Owen 16. I mean, you go through the last decade of the lions. I, I uh, feel like maybe it's my fault. Um, you know, but if nothing else, at least I've, I'm an expert on bad football. And so I can certainly tell you what it looks like. Well, whatever you can be the expert. I'll be the arbiter. We're good. Go. <laughs> <laughs> as so much, as so much, it feels like over the last decade, it's been, uh, you know, one or the other. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a long, way too long. I just want want a little bit of winning so I don't have to deal with this any, anymore. <laughs> so really, it, I want it so it doesn't have to intrude on my basketball seasons anymore. Mike. That's oh, I mean. Yeah, well, we'll get your basketball season before the show's over. But <laughs> what, we talked a little about, you know, when it, like, we realized it would get to this point. When do you think it got, got to the point for Bob Quinn is it the same timeline or because like to me I look at it and if I'm Bob Quinn and I'm looking back at this a year from now I realize that the one decision that did me in was either not trying to force ownership to maybe make the move after last season or frankly not having a very open search and just kind of pushing the Patricia higher to begin with I agree. Um, I think, look, even if they, I've been critical of the Lions for the lack of, you know, depth of their search, both for general manager when they hired Bob Quinn and for the coach when they hired Matt Patricia. Um, I think regardless of how wide a net they cast when they hired Patricia, they probably would have come back with Patricia because he was the hot candidate at the time and he was a very legitimate, you know, candidate. So I, I don't think there's anything, you know, wrong with that hire, but um, I think to answer your question, Mike, uh, had Bob made a move at the end of the last season, I think he would still be GM and still would be in 2021 because they wouldn't pull the plug on an, another regime, a head coach and a, the full regime at that point. I think he could have saved his job at least temporarily had he made the decision in season. Um, I, frankly, I don't think that a, I feel very comfortable in saying that a decision was not made on Bob until that you know Friday after Thanksgiving. Like I think Matt's future was there was no way he was coming back, you know, when the, the season was, was going the way it was. And had Bob made that decision, he might have saved his job at least till the end of the season, whether he would have been able to retain it now or whether he would have been part of this Black Monday, uh, you know, moves. You know, that's that remains to be seen. That's probably depending on the record. And so maybe it, it would have it would have been inevitable. But yes, I, to answer your question, I think Bob's fate was not sealed until, you know, somewhere around that Thanksgiving game. I've always felt, uh, you know, and, and this has always been a little bit speculative and, and no one's really said it, but I've always felt like if they didn't win that Arizona game, that they might've pulled the plug on that after week four. I think that's right. Uh, you know, I mean, look, it, you know, you start on four, we saw it basically with both Atlanta and Houston. One of those teams was on five, but you know, that would have been a natural break in the schedule where you could do it. 
Um, you know, I know there were some reports with the Jacksonville week, right? You know, yeah. that if they lost that game that he would have been out. I don't know that for a fact, but I, I, again, feel very comfortable in saying that had they lost to Washington, I do believe that Bob Quinn would have fired Matt Patricia and then Bob, again, would have been able to retain his job till the end of the season. Um, but, you know, again, the right thing to do is probably to, when you, when you realize something is not going the right way, that you pull the plug on everything and, and you start over. And you can end up doing that too often, and we've seen the Lions do it too often, but um, at least the way things had gone in the last few years, I think it was pretty it was pretty obvious that the Matt Patricia era was not going to work here in Detroit. So let's, a couple other things I want to pack, unpack for this season before we get to, you know, the, the bigger question of the future. What do you think worked well this season? Like if you're a, a GM, a head coach looking at this team, what do you sit there and say, all right, I, I can work with this. I think the PR department did a good job with us. <laughs> no, um, I mean, they were great. No, seriously. And, and the, sad, the, the sad thing is they will not get the attention or the props that they deserve nationally because no national writers are, are paying much attention to the Lions. Let's just be honest. No, like the PFWA awards that we both vote on, right? Like the last couple of years have actually thrown their names in there because they've been so good the last couple of years, I've felt, and made such progress. But no one's going to credit them. So hopefully if any of them listen to this podcast, at least they'll hear that we appreciate what they've done. And yeah. I agree. I think that they did a very good job. And and But in all seriousness, you mentioned that. And if you're a GM out there looking to hire a new PR staff. There you go. You got some guys. Yeah, but GMs and head coaches, like they sometimes have say in who's who their guys are. So that's important. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but no, to, to answer your question, what went right for the, the Lions this year? I mean, look, I think the offense had some struggles early on, right? They did not live up to the, you know, the really the, the hype, the preseason hype, you know, their potential. And some of that was due to injury. And I don't think Stafford played particularly well early in the season. But I think, you know, you did see here for most of the last five weeks, at least when, when you know, Stafford was on the field and Bevel was around, that the, the offense still has some, you know, still can be pretty potent. And that was without Kenny Galladay for virtually the entire season. So I think that was a good thing. Give the offensive line a lot of credit. I think the offensive line played extremely well. And give Bob Quinn credit for drafting some of those excuse me, young offensive linemen, you know, Decker and Rag now both look like they're going to be cornerstone pieces for the Lions here for a long time. And I know they were both first round picks, but especially in Ragnow's case, you know, he was sort of a, he was a little under the radar. And so I think, you know, Bob does deserve credit for, for drafting those guys. And even to a lesser extent, like, you know, Terrell Crosby, a fifth rounder who, you know, played a lot at right tackle. So there are some, I think there are some good pieces on offense. Um, the defense needs a complete overhaul uh, you know, so that, I mean, we're talking, they probably need eight new starters on defense, you know, nine new starters, and that's tough to get in one off season, but in order for them to, uh, you know, completely turn this defense around, that's the type of turnover that they're going to need. So, all right. So uh, defensively, who would you say would be like you're saying eight new, you know, eight new starters, nine new starters. I count if they somehow retain Oquara. Yeah. I count seven. So I, I could see, I mean, I think Trey Flowers and Romeo Aquara can be a good set of defensive ends. You still need another pass rusher, but I, I you know, I'd at least feel comfortable with those two at defensive end, depending on what, you know, sort of system you're playing, I guess. But you're right. You know, Romeo has played pretty well this year. I think Trey's a very good all around player. So I think both of those could be starters for you, uh, could be starters for a lot of teams in the league. 
this is a, the way that I, I guess I'm looking at it is someone had asked me this question in my, my mailbag last week is how many defensive starters, you know, or how many Lions defensive players would start on other teams? And I said, if you take it, that would start on, let's say, half the teams in the league. Um, I think maybe those two. Uh, and then I guess I'm counting Jeff Okuda and Tracy Walker as like a half player each because I think Tracy has potential, didn't play up to it this year played well his first two seasons. You know, this was a weird year for him. And Jeff Okuda is certainly going to be part of the future. But, you know, after the way he played this year, it's tough to count on him being a number one or even a number two cornerback, though the potential is there. Okay, yeah. See, I, who am I, I missing? Have, you said seven, so who am I missing? I would have – well, so it's I'm looking at it from a, a contract standpoint too. Like you're kind of stuck with Jimmy Collins next year. Um. Yeah, I mean, probably are from a contractual standpoint. I just I don't think the Lions were very happy with, you know, the they thought they might be getting more leadership from him, too. And that I again, I feel pretty comfortable in saying that they they felt a little let down by that part of it. Um, I think you're probably right from a contractual standpoint. He is here. But uh, I think the linebacking unit was the worst unit on this team and maybe the worst unit in, in the league when it comes to the, the linebacking core. So, um I think they need three new starters at linebacker. Oh no! I, listen, I agree with you. The linebackers were were really bad, like really, really bad. And I could I could literally see every linebacker other than Jamie Collins not on this roster next year. Like, I mean, it's probably true, right? It's probably true. Like, I mean, they, they, maybe they keep Tavai and and try and hope that they can in a new staff hope that they can unlock something. But I mean, I I don't know. I think he he plays a very specific role, you know, uh, and. You know, and again, too, I think it depends how maybe the new staff would view Julian O'Quara and what his role would be, whether he'd be more of a stand-up linebacker or right. or a defensive end. And we that's a guy we don't know because he was hurt for the whole year. Right. Mostly. So, like, but Jamie Collins to me is a guy, again, more contractually than anything else. If his contract was like, say, Desmond Trufant's contract, I would not have him in that category. But otherwise, yeah, I would say Okuda and Walker, and I think they – I mean, Tracy Walker even admitted it himself. He was being used maybe in not his best role this year. Right. And I, I would be curious to see if a new defensive staff moves him to free safety, back to free safety, if that, you know, re-unlocks his potential. And then, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think Awarie has potential as well. I think he showed it in flashes. But I think it's tough to judge the corners specifically because of the type of defense they were playing without a pass rush. No corner. I mean, we saw it with Slay, right? No corner in the league can play man defense for more than like four seconds. Yeah. So well, I think there's potential, but I, I wouldn't like lock them in as like surefire starters. And it's going to be based on the uh, the system they bring in, right? If they're playing some of that cover three, you know, Robert Sala stuff. Obviously, you're looking for a different type of cornerback than if you're, you know, playing, uh, you know, Tampa two, or if you're playing, you know, press man the whole time. So there's. Uh, there's there's a lot of unknown left on the defense, and I, I do agree. That's why it's kind of hard to, you know, pinpoint who's there, who comes back, who's gone, who's trade bait. But, um, you know, it, I, I would say Desmond Trufant, you know, not remembering exactly what his contract is like off the top of my head. He's probably worth keeping around, too. But, you know, the injuries are something that you have to take into account at this stage of his, his career. So I wouldn't feel comfortable going into next season with him as my number one cornerback. No, absolutely not. And I don't, I can't imagine that any GM or head coach would do that. I mean, three hamstring injuries in one year, we have no idea whether, you know, where that stands too. 
like are his hamstrings just done <laughs> or you know or or was it maybe a shape situation also right. because of the not off season and and all of that so i don't know i mean that's you're right that there are just so many questions defensively and, and that's going to be massive for whoever takes over there's also other stuff too like even special teams is a question this time which usually it's not if you think about it, this is the first time where you're looking at it and saying there's true questions there. I mean, I guess last year a little bit too, but I think even more so this year because Prater was such a lock for so long, and now I don't think he is. Jack Fox is a keeper, um, but yeah, I mean, I would, you know, look, I thought Steve Wordle was better than Don Mulebach in camp. Um, so, you know, who knows what the next regime does. There's no ties to either one of those guys, obviously. Uh, you know, Matt Prater had a really weird year where he still made some of those bombs, including the other day, but he missed a few extra points and, you know, he wasn't particularly accurate on, on some of those 40 plus kicks. So, you know, I, he's probably still better than a lot of kickers in the NFL, but you know, at what price? So, you know, do you look to draft somebody? You only got five picks, you know, you don't have a sixth or seventh rounder. I mean, there's, there's a lot, I think that the next regime has to figure out and you're right, Mike, it's on all in all three phases, offense, defense, and special teams. The one thing I've wondered, which obviously, you know, Braden Combs when he was here wouldn't say, and no one else, you know, Prater wouldn't say it. I do wonder how much the new holder and maybe Mulebach, if he isn't as Dom Mulebach as he had been in the past, how much maybe that messed up some of his timing too, which we don't know and I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And, you know, Look, if Mulebach's snaps are going in point, you know, seven seconds versus point seven one, like does that throw a kicker off? I don't know. I mean, I you're right. Answer, yeah, there's it's it's that's something that I can't even pretend to to know. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I it was a weird year for Matt Prater, and I think he's probably still a better kicker than he showed. But you know, if you're the Lions, uh, you know, I don't know. Is that a luxury to pay you know two and a half million dollars for a kicker when you're going to be in the sort of state that you are and you don't know if he's the same Matt Prater bold. So I think there's, there's a lot to be determined there. No, I would agree, which let's look at some of the biggest questions that are facing this team now, which are the quarterback and Kenny Galladay. Let's start with Galladay because to me, I think that's the bigger question in some ways, because I think to me, Stafford is if you get an offer that's enticing enough and you think it's more of a rebuild, you make it. If not, he's here. Like that, it's kind of that's that's kind of where I unless Stafford wants out. But for Galladay, I don't know what they do. Like where where do you think that they and we clearly, I think both of us would agree this is a pure speculative conversation because yeah. no one's hired yet. But what what would you do? Ooh, that's a tough one too because you know I just I would I would franchise them. Look, if I'm on the team, uh, I would franchise them because I think you know the injuries that he's had. Um, I mean, maybe this isn't fair because, you know, you don't, I mean, he truly was, was dealing with something, but when you see Matthew Stafford gutting through what he went through the last couple of weeks, I mean, you see Frank Ragnow now coming back from, you know, a throat injury where he couldn't talk and you see Danny Shelton coming off injured reserve to play in a game and then going out with a tricep injury, you know, you, you sort of look at Kenny Galladay and you say, you missed the last two months for what, you know, a hip pull. So, and again, I, I know that's not fair, but I think, if I'm the organization that might factor into my decision of whether I want to sign this guy long-term. However, he's a really good receiver. 
And so, you know, if you're going to franchise him and depending on, you know, what the tag is, look, if, if the salary caps 175, 180 million, the franchise tag is going to be about 15 and a half million dollars. And so, you know, that's below market value for a receiver. And, and that's why there was a holdup with him in this contract, getting something long-term done. So if I'm the franchise, I would probably franchise him and just let 2021 play out, even though you risk having a very disgruntled Kenny Galladay um, on your, your team again. No, it's interesting. I think I would do the same thing as far as tagging him at the very least, because I don't think you want him to walk. And I don't think I'd give him a long-term deal for multiple reasons, including the very open reality that I think receivers are starting to move the way of running back where you can get them cheaper. You can get them in any round of the draft and they show real value. And to me, that's where that would stand. However, I would, instead of playing 2021 out, I would tag and probably look to trade if I could and and see if, if, and see if I can get flip them for, you know, a second or, or a high three this year that you would get and, and see if that's possible and, and add to that stable of picks that you're going to need to rebuild that defense. And then maybe go and try and sign a vet or make your receiving core really young. And yeah, you know, maybe even use that number five pick. If a quarterback's, if a quarterback's not there and you're not in love with Micah Parsons, Devonte Smith looks like a hell of a receiver. Like that's not the worst idea you've had, um, and you've had plenty. Um, <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, like legitimately, you know, the Lions where they're picking in the draft, maybe it's not Devontae Smith, maybe it's Jamar Chase or whatever. Like you, you should be able to have one of those really good receivers in theory available to you. You know, the obviously, you know, the Lions have virtually no receivers under contract for next year, so you're going to have to add someone in free agency. Um, and I maybe it depends too on, on what your quarterback situation is No, though too, you know, you need some, I just, I didn't get the sense that Marvin Jones was coming back from the way that he was talking about, you know, being excited about free agency. Um, and, you know, maybe Matthew Stafford can overcome some of those shortcomings at receivers that we've seen it before where he needs some good receivers too, right. A couple of years ago when they had no one in their offense looked like trash. Um, you know, I know he's got Hawkinson now. I know they're swift, but they need a good receiver too. And so that's why I, I would be in favor of, of keeping Galladay, but I'm not, I don't think you're, you're totally off base there. And I think, especially if you do have the potential to, you know, draft, if you're not going to go quarterback early, right. Maybe, you know, who knows if, you know, what uh, talking draft, that's a whole nother crapshoot. but, but bottom line is you could be in position to get a receiver and Mike, what you said about the receiver position, maybe being you know devalued a little bit. I think I wrote, a little bit of that in like one of my position by position draft previews last year, just saying like, is the value really there uh, anymore? Because receivers are, you know, the depth of the position is so good. So maybe you don't even have to use that first round pick on a receiver. Maybe you can get a pretty good one in round two. Well, I mean, look at it this way. I think we've all seen the elite of the elite of the elite that go in the first, you know, I mean, Calvin Johnson being one, but as we all, as everyone knows with the history of this franchise, receivers can be gigantic busts in the first round. Also, and look at the top receivers right now. Devontae Adams, second-round pick. Michael Thomas, second-round pick. Like, there's value to be had, and with the way college offenses are going, to me, I think yeah. that's more of And I asked Daryl Bevel, I asked Daryl Bevel that last week because I was like, you know, and, and he didn't kind of discount it. He said, he, you know, he kind of punted on the answer. But, yeah, I, that to me is, I think, one of – I don't know what they do with Kenny Galladay. 
you know, because that's the other thing too. If you're trying to change the culture in the locker room, do you think Kenny Galladay ends up fitting that, you know? And I think I don't get the sense. Let me make it very clear. I don't get the sense that he is that type of player. I've never gotten that sense, but if he's not happy, like that's noticeable. I think Kenny's uh, frustrations this year were largely just about, you know, he felt he was being toyed with when it came to the money and the contract and stuff. And and so um, again, franchising him wouldn't make him happy in that regard, but he's a really good player. And perhaps, you know, the new GM could say, Hey, we got a lot on our plate, right? I'm going to franchise you. We're going to get to this. Maybe we can get, work something out. Uh, you know, maybe there is some middle ground that they can find uh, because I, I do think Galladay is a, you know, a, he can be a difference maker as a receiver. And when you have those, no matter where you draft them, if it's on one or two or three, they're tough to let go from your roster. Agreed. So moving to the quarterback, how do you, what do you think happens with, I mean, what to me, Stafford becomes, he's on your roster in 21, unless you get a first or a one or a two or multiple twos like that to me is the, is the baseline. Uh, unless maybe you trade him to the Jets and you get back Sam Darnold in return and you want to just try younger and, and Sam Darnold becomes a bridge and a draft. I, I don't know. Obviously, this is all hypothetical, right? But like that to me is the only time where you would trade Stafford this year. Like if the offers just aren't there, I still don't think you move them. No, Mike, I'm with you there too. I, you know, I've I've been a big advocate of finding the – long-term answer at the quarterback position, but I've said all along that you can't force that, right? That is something that to me, the, the problem with the quarterback position that teams fall into the, the problem of two times, too many, too often, the, the rut that they fall into is when they absolutely need a quarterback and then they trade up for Mitch Trubisky or they draft Christian Ponder at 12 or, you know, what? those are the, the instances where you really bomb on quarterback picks, right? We need one. So we're, we got to take this guy here. Lions are in a position now they're in a position last year you know they can be in the the near future to draft a young quarterback like we've seen the Packers do a couple times like we saw the Chiefs do with Patrick Mahomes like like we've seen a number of teams do that if the right guy is there if you truly believe that guy can be a special quarterback then you can take him and you can figure out the position at a later date and I think that's the luxury that the Lions have to me with Matthew Stafford is that Stafford is you know he's going to be 33 years old in February and I think he still has some good years, plenty of good years left in him as a quarterback. The issue with the Lions and him long term is, you know, do you how long is the rebuild take? And is at what point will you be ready to contend? And at, where will Matthew be at that point of his career because of the injuries, the age, the contract, you know, all of that stuff. So you can you can keep Matthew on your roster now. You can draft a young quarterback. Um, I don't know that I would be able to trade a Matthew Stafford because you're not going to know who your replacement is going to be in, you know, March when free agency opens. And so it's, it's going to be tough for a new GM. I think GMs are tend to be conservative by nature and they will tend to come into this situation and look at it and say, yeah, I can win. And whether it's this year or next year, and Matthew can be a part of that and he's a good quarterback. And so I want to keep him around. So I don't know how realistic a trade is, the caveat being unless Matthew really wants a trade, you know, unless he's fed up with the rebuilding and, and not being able to, to win here and he wants to go somewhere else. If that's the case, then I think your hands are a little bit tied and you do have to deal the quarterback. 
Right. And then the interesting part with that too becomes that $10 million roster bonus that he's owed in March. So it's not even like you can wait that around until the draft unless you're going to swallow that. But frankly, if you're trading Matthew Stafford, you're probably looking at a larger rebuild anyway, where that 10 million was not going to get put to great use regardless. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if Stafford wants to be traded and, you know, he said after the, the finale Sunday that, you know, he would sit down and talk with his wife and decompress from the season and figure things out at a later date. And that's probably the right thing to do. Right. You don't want to make any look. If, if you asked me like two weeks ago or a month ago or whatever, like Matthew seemed incredibly frustrated and like seemed like the time was, was now for this to end. You know, now I see him as being maybe a little more conflicted, like realizing that maybe his best chance to win is to go elsewhere, but part of him wanting to finish what he started here and, you know, appreciating Daryl Bevel and his teammates and, you know, saying in, in the Fords and the organization and the city. So I see him maybe as a little more conflicted now. And so if he, if he decides that he wants to be done with this organization and wants to start fresh in Indy or new Orleans or new England or wherever the, the chances to, to be a winner, then I think that move would be made the first day of the league year. If not, then I think, yeah, you keep him. Yeah, it's going to be, it's, you know, I think the next two months are going to be fascinating because of the last couple of things I want to talk about, which are obviously the big ticket items, the head coach, the general manager. Where do you think they go? What do you think? I mean, I realize that's the big billion dollar, literally yeah. what, $2.4 billion maybe question. Like, where do you think they go? Um, you know, I, I don't know if they know and, and that's probably a good thing. And maybe some people think that's a problem. And, you know, I, I think it's good that they cast a wide net, um, you know, cause you never know who you're going to talk to, who you might, you know, what size fish you might get come up with. Uh, certainly, you know, we've seen the reports about the John Schneider or Kevin Colbert or something, right. If, if something like that were to happen, that would be a home run. I, I don't think that will happen, but you know, uh, so let's, let's put that aside. Um, I do know they want some experience, uh, you know, and maybe at one position, maybe at both. I mean, I, I think they're, you know, the, you know, their approach is to, we're going to talk to a bunch of people when we find the right guy for one of the positions, we're going to hire them. And then, you know, that person will be brought in on the hiring of the other position in theory. And so, you know, is that guy Thomas Dimitrov? Is that guy, you know, Jeff Ireland? Is it, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know who it's going to be, but I think they, you know, knowing some of the things that they're looking for, the people that would check boxes are guys like Thomas Dimitrov, guys like Rick Smith, you know, guys like Jeff Ireland, even Dan Campbell, the assistant head coach with the Saints, because he was an interim head coach with, with Miami. So um, I think those are the guys that they may not be the popular hire among fans, but I think after having gone through what they've gone through with all the, um, you know, losing and, and all the problems that they've encountered with first-time GMs and really first-time coaches, you know, their most success was under Caldwell, who was the previous head coach, that I, I think they – I understand the reason behind them wanting some experience in one or both positions. Marvin Lewis is a guy that really intrigues me. I mean, he really does because I think people – see what happened in Cincinnati and don't realize how hard it is to win in Cincinnati. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, Cincinnati is look people. I know people around here think of the lions as one of these bottom feeding organizations. Like Cincinnati is like two rungs below the lions. I mean, just in terms of the, the money, the investment, the number of people they have helping out on the personnel side, you know, coaches doubling and scouting sometimes. I mean, just, 
So you're right. It's a difficult situation to win. And Marvin would bring some instant credibility in the locker room. Um, I wonder, you know, I, I think the knock on Marvin would be that what is the upside there, right? Is it like one of those situations like Jim Caldwell where you're going to be a 9-8-7 team and, you know, maybe nothing more, you know, like will you ever have Super Bowl potential? But I think Marvin has some of the leadership qualities that they would be looking for and he certainly has the experience. And, uh, you know, the other thing, Mike, when I, I did a little box, you know, we do these boxes on every candidate, right? You know, the pros and the cons of them. You know, the other thing I think, yeah, I think the other thing you have to, you know, wonder about Marv is, you know, how long-term a solution is that, you know, he's 61, I think. So, um, you know, and not that you can't coach until you're 70, but, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, there's naturally more intrigue with young dudes like Joe Brady or Arthur Smith, who, you know, neither of whom are interviewing as of right now with the Lions. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, Marvin would check off some boxes too. Which obviously leads to the guy that I think most people are very curious about who's the hometown gentleman, yeah. Mr. Robert Sala. Like, do you, th- I, I get the sense that at one point he was the, and maybe again, this is public, right? Like just like the public, right? like in Vegas, the public money line versus like the reality, like the public money line, I still think is there, but it yeah. really felt like at one point it was kind of like fate accompli that this was going to be who, who it was. Do you still think that? Because I'm starting to feel like maybe, maybe not for multiple reasons. I think absolutely. Like he is the the people's choice, you know, because he's from here in the storyline and he's, you know, you watch him on TV and he's, you know, you just see the emotion, right. And you see how players respond to him and you see what his players say in the media. And so there's a lot to, to like about Robert. And I think he will be a good head coach, but I don't know that I've, I've never really gotten a sense that he was, the Lions number one choice. And that's not to say he's not, I just think the Lions are wide open enough that they're, you know, that they will evaluate all these candidates on their own merit and they want to sit down with them on zoom and sort of figure out what they're all about. And so, yeah, I think Robert is a a candidate and a good candidate, but you know, he doesn't check off the experience box. And so, you know, that's going to be something that's, or, you know, again, we know that's important to them, not a deal breaker, but important to them. And Mike, the other thing is, you know how it works that a lot of times, you know, coaches and GMs are sort of tied at the hip, right? And the Lions aren't interviewing Ed Dodds. There aren't, they aren't interviewing, you know, either of the Seattle guys. They're not interviewing, uh, you know, I'm trying to think who the, uh, the other connection with, with him is, Adam Peters. You know, like guys that, that he is associated with as, as a head coach GM. Um, those guys, the GMs aren't coming to town yet. And so that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Uh, but that's just another, you know, to your point, question about, you know, does he fit here in Detroit? Yeah, well, and that's the other question, too, is do you need and do they really believe that you have to have a GM and a head coach who are tied to each other and who are who do know each other that well? Because as we all know, a lot of times teams like to go opposite of what they did in the past. And I mean, you can't get more any more tied than. You know, I mean, listen, toward the end, there were people openly calling them Quintricia. Like, you can't get any more tied than that. So, Uh, to me, wouldn't it be possible that you could sit there and say, hey, listen, you guys both have similar visions. We vetted you. You have similar visions. You see football the same way, the way we want it. We know you haven't worked together before, but you're both grown-up individuals you should be able to make this work if you're good football men. 
I think that's, uh, well, I understand what you're saying. And I don't mean this is, is you having backwards logic. I think that's just backwards logic for an organization to think something like that would work. And that doesn't mean that the coach and the GM have to, you know, be buddy, buddy, like Quinn and Patricia were early on. I don't know that Quinn and Patricia had that tight of a relationship, you know, this season as things were on, but certainly early on they were thick as thieves. Um, and so I don't, I think forcing one upon the other when you're the organization and saying, Hey, make this work. I think that would be the absolute wrong move. I think you hire the, the person that you fall in love with, whether it's the coach or the GM, presumably the GM, and then you empower that person uh, to make the, the, the selection and in part of this process. Right. And, and I think this is part of why, you know, I got a lot of questions today, Mike, about why are the Lions interviewing head coaches when they don't have a GM. Right. Well, part of it is, you know, yeah, there has to be some fit there. Like if, if a GM wants to come in with a head coach and you've already interviewed that head coach and you're like, that guy does not fit here. Like you're probably going to rule that GM out. Right. Or you're going to, it is as part of your interview process, you're going to say, look, that guy does not fit here. Like we just don't want him. We didn't get a good vibe from him. Like, is there some, something else that can work? So I, I just, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And I think there's logic to what you're saying, but I think for a team to actually take that approach of, of, Hey, we're picking these two and you guys make it work. I don't think it, it works like that in the NFL. So I, uh, I think the, it doesn't mean that they will have some previous ties. Uh, but I, I think the, whoever they hire first has to be a part of the decision on the second. If uh, Yeah. And I did a poor job explaining that. I definitely agree that that is the case. Like you're not going to hire a, a, a GM or a head coach and just say, Hey, just sit back. Wait, we'll, we'll make yeah. that decision. I'm not, I'm not saying that, yeah. but I'm saying like, I, I meant more with the ties. I'm saying like, if they hired, let's just, for argument's sake, say they hire Jeff Ireland. That doesn't automatically mean that like Dan Campbell's potentially coming because they work together or Terry Fontenot, who they're going to be interviewing, right? That doesn't automatically mean that Dennis Allen or Dan Campbell is is the right. guy. It just, you know, I'm just saying, hey, they need to see football the same way. The example to me that stands out is Pete Carroll and John Schneider, going back to what we we're talking about before with John Schneider. They didn't really know each other before they were hired, but they saw football the same way. And I mean, look, I think the Lions, I think the Lions and almost every team in the NFL would take what Seattle's done over the last 10 years. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, I mean, I, I think, Mike, I wrote something and somebody from the Lions had told me, you know, that they, they you know, it resonated a little bit was, um, you know, when the Steelers hired Mike Tomlin, it was the same thing. And that's why I think it's good to cast that wide net because you never know what you're going to find and you never know, you know, whose visions are going to going to align and who you who you come away saying, you know, that's the right guy for the, for the job. And so I don't think it has to be a situation where it's, you know, Ed Dodds hires Robert Sala because they worked together in Seattle before. Right. Or Adam Peters and Sala work together now, or, you know, Mike Borgonzi and, and, you know, uh, uh, Eric Bieniemy because you're exactly right. That's when you end up with a Quintricia thing where you don't, you know, interview enough candidates, talk to enough people, hear enough, uh, viewpoints on, on what will work and you need some of that you know those disagreements in the room for it to work um, so I, I, I 100% agree with you there that um, you should be able to, to go outside your comfort zone to make that hire but certainly the person that they hire first especially if it's a GM needs to make the pick for the head coach and I, one last GM head coach question do you think and maybe this is unfair if Martin and Jim had not been prior here, 
here prior. Like this, like say they did what they did in Houston or in anywhere else. Do you think they would be candidates here? Jim Schwartz, no. No, no, not Jim Schwartz. Jim Caldwell. Jim Schwartz is about to retire. Jim Schwartz is is walking away for at least a year. (laughs) Yeah, all right. No, that makes sense. I was thinking uh, back to the old tenure. Um, That's interesting. Uh, I mean, look, had Martin had done what he's done in Detroit, you know, somewhere else, would he be a candidate for Detroit? Um, Probably because they want some experience, you know, And, and you look at Martin's record. I mean, Matthew Stafford, Dominican Sue. I mean, those were some good picks and he, he did some good things. Um, you know, Jim Caldwell sort of the same thing where he's had some experience. And so I think both of those guys would, would check off the boxes and, and Jim, you know, would be the complete opposite of what Matt Patricia is now. And to your point of teams going in the opposite direction, that would certainly fit. And uh, that does happen often in the NFL. So yeah, I think they, they both would be um, candidates, but uh, that being said, I don't know if any either one of them would be the people's choice for the exact reasons that we've talked about, like retreads, for lack of a better word. You know, you are you can pick apart their record so easily that the general public doesn't seem to like that. They like the new and shiny thing that you don't know much about. And so that's why I think whoever the Lions end up hiring, uh, you know, he might that person might not get the seal of approval from Lions fans. So I got two more questions for you, then we'll get get you out of here. One is so what is going on with your basketball this year? <laughs> I said we'd come back to it. I teased you the top. Got to come back at the end. I think we've talked about my basketball every single one of these episodes that we've done, including the one that didn't air. Um, Absolutely. As we should, because I think at, at heart, let's be honest, at yeah. heart, both, and as part of what, one of the many reasons I think we get along, at heart, we're both basketball guys. <laughs> I love it. I still play it, you know, probably go watch some tonight as I'm transcribing some stuff. Um, I shouldn't say I still play it, man. The pandemic has really taken basketball out of my life. Um, Mike, look, all right. How much time do we have left on this this podcast? <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's the second to last one. It doesn't matter. We can go for however long you want. <laughs> right, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Our, uh, our CYO season, many people out there may know, right? I coached my daughter's basketball team through her school, CYO, Catholic, League, Catholic Youth Organization. Uh, our season just got canceled yesterday, as a matter of fact. What? I got- I got the email during the game and it said, the email said, Hey, you know, update to CYO. And I read the first paragraph and it was like, CYO said it's coming back January 16th for practice and games, you know, a couple of weeks later. And that's all I read. And I, so I texted my daughter and I was like, Hey, basketball's coming back, you know, January 16th. And she texted me back. Great. On the way home, I texted the athletic director and I was like, Hey, so we got to pick teams. What's the, and he was like, you better read that email a little bit further. And I was like, Oh snap. Didn't read it. Avery school is not having basketball. So we are taking our team to go play in some uh, tournaments outside of the the season. And so we will begin practice here shortly uh, next week. I'm actually Mike, after we get done recording this podcast here, I have a call back. I have to make to uh, the guy that's helping me coach his daughter plays with our team. And we're going to figure out a plan of when we're going to start practicing, what tournaments we're going to play in. So we will be playing this winter slash spring but we are in the process of figuring out the exact plans right now. Man, that's, that's rough. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I know that that is really your favorite part of your entire life is coaching Avery's women's Avery's girls basketball teams. If I won the lotto, I would just be a basketball coach. I think I would coach my kids basketball teams and just sort of fade off into 
oblivion, right? Mike Tyson and never Bolivian, whatever he said, and never, uh, you know, be heard from again uh, outside of, you know, all my basketball prowess. But Mike, I will tell you, not for me, for the kids, because sixth grade, my daughter's in sixth grade right now. When you win a championship in sixth grade, you get your, you know, year up on the banner, right? Eighth grade and sixth grade. That's sort of sixth grade is the, you know, top JV and eighth grade is the top varsity. And I'm not lying when I say we, you know, have, we won undefeated in our league last year. We have a really good team. So we would have, got our name up on the banner, our year up on the banner. And so I think, you know, the girls are a little disappointed to, to see that go by the wayside. One of, one of the, one small thing to fall by the wayside in Corona, but one thing that uh, some sixth grade girls are not too happy about. Man, that's, that's just, that's unfortunate. Um, I'm really sad to hear that actually, because I mean, literally I would say half of almost every conversation we have revolves around some sort of basketball <laughs> I, you know, uh, two good things about the pandemic, though. One is that because our season got delayed, uh, Mike, I didn't have to miss any practices or anything, which normally, you know, coaching search, GM search, all this stuff was going on. I just wouldn't have been able to be there for my team. So, uh, you know, at, at least I have not left them out to dry. And then B, you know, I, I had a lot of time this summer to sit down and reorganize my playbook and do some of those things. So I feel like I'm a better prepared coach for when we come back. Oh, well, at least you at least you use this time appropriately and did prepare one question i did get from a follower or listener reader whatever you want to call it is will you be picking up my podcasting slack because they felt like you podcast but you only podcast once a quarter so they wanted to know because they're sad that that my show is leaving the airwaves whether you would be picking up the slack for that or if that was a pipe dream uh if somebody wanted to pay me to do it or if, if the free press wanted to pay me some extra, I would gladly do it. But man, it's look, we did a podcast years ago and I did a podcast years ago and I just, it, you know, we sort of replaced that with a Facebook live show and we sold some ads one year and then the next year something fell through and it didn't happen. And, and so it, you know, it sort of morphed from one thing into another and long story short, you know, I don't really do them. Sometimes they turn, you know, our, my video talks with Carlos in the podcast, but Every once in a while, if I have a long conversation, like with Calvin, you know, we'll, we'll podcast that, but I just, I, you know, maybe if I wasn't coaching basketball, I would have some more time in my life to do that. I also coach baseball for my son in the spring, right? His, his little, you know, six-year-old baseball. So, uh, you know, my, my youth sports, uh, coaching right now is taking precedent over my podcasting. So maybe we have to wait till my kids get to high school and then I'm out of the coaching ranks to do that. I just want to ask because I try to do what the listeners, you know, the listeners try to get me. The last thing I do want to ask, I lied. I want to bring it back to football for a second. Maybe an Easter egg for people who get through this entire show. Everyone. Uh, yeah, I know. Who do you think they, where, at the end of the day, where do you think they end up going? Uh, in terms of who they're hiring? No, that they're going to move to Ottawa. Yeah, who they're hiring. <laughs> They're going back to Ohio, right? Portsmouth. Um. <laughs> hey, this st- from Chris Burke's story, that stadium still looks pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, you know, I guess uh, I do think um, the Jeff Ireland, Dan Campbell tandem would be one to watch because they check off a lot of boxes. If I had to pick someone right now, I would, I would put Thomas Dimitrov at the head of the list just because those were sort of the, you know, rumors I heard from people across the league that he's kind of the leader in the clubhouse for lack of a better term. 
um, you know, he's had some experience. So, you know, if I was making a, a pick today, January 4th, 8.47 PM, I think it just turned, uh, I would say Thomas Dimitrov is head coach and or I'm sorry, is general manager. And I, I'd go Robert Salas head coach, I guess, but um, I don't feel confident in either of those picks. I think there's so much to be t- determined still. And I could see a Rick Smith, if he doesn't get the Atlanta job, I could see, you know, that New Orleans tandem. I could see somebody completely out of the blue as well. No, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and by the way, I, I would probably be the same quote unquote clubhouse leaders as you are. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't, couldn't make any sort of thing. The one last part of that I would ask is urban and Jim, another gym. I mean, they have a history of hiring gyms. So would like Jim Harbaugh just fall into that. The one time they don't, Hire, I mean, listen, let's be honest. Since 2009, every successful season they've had has had a gym as a head coach. Yeah. Um, I don't think Urban comes to Detroit in any way, shape, or form. I think that's Jacksonville where he sticks with TV. Um, though I think he would be a good hire and he would be the type of you know coach that you would hire the coach first and figure out the GM later. Um, Jim Harbaugh, look. There's a reason why he hasn't signed his contract in Michigan yet, right? Absolutely. I mean, he's waiting for an NFL thing. He's trying to see if something materializes. And frankly, I think Michigan is fine with him doing that because they just don't want to. I think Michigan would be fine moving on from Jim Harbaugh. And so they're comfortable saying, hey, if you get an NFL job, good, take it. But, and I think Jim Harbaugh would be a good NFL coach, but I, I'm going to say no on him to the Lions right now, though. You know, Sheila does have some ties to Michigan. Rod does have some ties to Michigan. So, I guess uh, if that came out of the if that came out of left field, um, you know, it wouldn't uh, totally totally shock me. Maybe just one totally there, but uh, I'm gonna say no on that one too. Well, don't forget too. I mean, Sheila lives in Ann Arbor, right? Like, I mean, I I don't think that's any state secret. I mean, that was in my profile on her. Like, you know, she's here. Like, that's a very like she knows the ins and outs of that more than people I think even maybe realize because of her proximity and the circle she runs in. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, um, you know, Harbaugh is certainly seeing if an NFL job materializes, you know, we've been around this long enough that that's clearly what's, what's going on with that situation. Uh, but I guess I'm going to just guess that he's going to be in Michigan for another year or two or however long he's going to be there for. Cause I could see the jets, you know, kicking the tires there, but, um, I don't Maybe know the, the chargers. Lines. Yeah. That now look, you know, he's obviously had some success out in California and got a really good young quarterback. And it's just a matter of if that organization is willing to cough up the coin and, and, yeah. you know, that's sort of a, another organization that's known to be a little cheap and, and whatnot, but, um, and how much power, you know, Jim Harbaugh might need to go back to a place that would have a GM, which obviously they don't have a GM here. So he might be able to, to pick somebody, but, Again, Mike, I maybe I just can't wrap my head around you know having to cover Jim Harbaugh, uh, Same. <laughs> given all that that goes with that. Even though you wouldn't have to you know climb trees and recruiting visits and stuff like that, but uh, I'm I'm still going to say no for the Lions right now. But you know I uh, you know I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't rule it out. No, I, I I would agree with you. I do think the Chargers would be interesting because you get the young quarterback, and if you're Dean Spanos. You, you need something to yeah. make 
that job that, that not that job that team relevant in LA because they are not right now but Jim Harbaugh Jim yeah. Harbaugh would I think peak people's interest very quickly just you know, saying, I, I, like to me that if LA and New York are different markets you need you need That's to bring in someone who has either a big personality or you need to bring in a guy who's going to win and if you can do both that guy's a home run where it might not matter as much in Detroit or in Indianapolis, you know, or in so many other cities, New York or in LA to me are two completely separate situations market-wise than any other team in the league. Oh, I agree. And uh, I, I think you're hundred percent right that look, I was texting with somebody earlier about that job. Um, just that, Hey, like, I think it's a really good job. And they said, yeah, it's, you know, cheap owner and, you know, LA, like, whatever the, the fan base there. I'm like, dude, if you win there, like it's LA, like LA just loves winners. And if you lose, they don't care about you. They don't hate you like they do in New York or Detroit or wherever. Right. They just don't care about you. And if you have that personality and you have that cachet that a Jim Harbaugh would bring, you know, I think that uh, you certainly could, could, you know, uh, be a big presence in that town. Yeah. that I mean, that's where I'm at. And to me too, for people saying, Oh, it's LA. If you're good, yeah, California taxes are, are brutal and that's part of the, the problem. But if you're good, think of how many players live in San Diego or LA. You can stay home all year. That sounds pretty entire. That that to me, I think that job is low key, maybe like the number two or number three job on the on the market behind I, I think Jacksonville is number one just because of the combination yep. of cap room, potential of power, number one picks of Trevor Lawrence and you know, free, theoretically a patient owner, depending on what's really going on behind the scenes with the power that that shotguns <laughs> wielding. But to me, it goes the Jacksonville and then maybe even this chart. I'm really intrigued by this Chargers job. I don't know, but that's just me. Young quarterback is such a precious commodity in the, commodity in the NFL. Young, a good young quarterback that is, and uh, Justin Herbert is really good. And so I think there'll be a lot of people that will be lining up to take that job or interview for that job in the hopes of working with Justin Herbert. And also don't forget young, really, really talented pass rusher too, which is essentially the most valuable thing on the defense. So they have some good players and even Derwin James, who obviously was hurt. I mean, they have some good players on defense. So I, I think that's a good situation to, to be in as well. Mike, I think I'm with you that Jacksonville is, is the best, but uh, I wouldn't, I think, uh, I think the Chargers will, will be a, a really attractive job to a lot of people. Absolutely. Hey, Dave, man, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you coming on all of the times that you have come on. And uh, I am sad that at least in the short term, uh, there won't be another one to, but who knows, maybe down the road, as, as I think both of us have always learned to say, you never say never, especially when uh, you start covering some of the teams we have. Hey, uh, we started off with my kids playing uh, with ski ball in the background, making all kinds of racket. And we end with them upstairs yelling and fighting with each other and everything, making all kinds of racket. So definitely come full circle. And if you're a reader, if the, the person that asked on, on the internet, you know, uh, if, if they get their wish and I do do a podcast, you'll be my first guest on that one too. So there you well, go. I, I appreciate that. And uh, hopefully one day that comes to fruition one day or another. Appreciate it, Dave. You got it, man.
I want to thank my guest, Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press, for coming on the show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I always have enjoyed talking with Dave on this show throughout the entire history of the show, literally from the unheard, unplayed episode one until episode 199 here. Tomorrow will be our finale. If you have mailbag questions, use the hashtag Roth Show. Send me a note on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein, Facebook, Michael Rothstein Journalist. We're going to try to get to as many of them as we possibly, possibly can, as that'll be it. Tomorrow will be the last show, and I want to thank again, I know I've said it a lot, all of you for sticking with me, and I will continue to say it probably a lot tomorrow, and yeah, uh, this journey unfortunately is, is almost over with the podcast, at least right now, at least in its current form, so again... I appreciate y'all being with me, and we will talk with you again tomorrow.